turn around and grab your Bible. Grab your Bible. Grab your Bible. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalms 34. Turn to Psalms 34. And Joshua chapter 10. The people behind me are very excited about Joshua 10. The people in front of me are getting there let me go ahead and give you the subject matter the title for today's message I wasn't real sure why God gave me this word until this morning and now I know exactly why he gave me this word that'll make more sense in a few minutes the title to today's conversation is Open Your Mouth in a Tight Spot. <laughs> That'll preach. And I don't mean open your mouth at your spouse or your kids. I mean open your mouth in a tight spot. Let's unpack the word that God has for us today. Look at your neighbors and say, change happens. Tell them there's a change of plans. How many of you know that God sometimes gets involved in our natural plans with his supernatural abilities, and he changes what we thought was going to happen to what should happen? Like last week, I told you that we're ending We Are Church. Last week. Last week was the last episode of We Are Church. In week one of the series... My wife came to me and she gave me this note. She said, Psalms 34 has to be in the series, We Are Church. It has to be. It has to be in the series, We Are Church. Psalms 34 is this beautiful passage that's, that's written about the, the, the beauty of togetherness in prayer. And so I researched Psalm 34. I did some study on Psalm 34. I did some work on Psalm 34, and Psalm 34 didn't make the cut. We'll use it later on for something else, baby. It'll be later on this year. And then this past week, I had a visit from the stomach virus from the pits of hell, one like I have never seen before. I'm not quite well, yet some of you are going, oh, Lord, he shook my hand. I, I'm, I'm not contagious any longer. I'm just not up to, to par yet. And so coming back into the office on Friday, Friday afternoon, I, I'm thinking, God, what, what am I going to preach on? I don't have time to storyboard a new series. We don't have time to sit down and talk about a graphic package and we don't have time to talk about all the promotional stuff that goes with all of the series that we do. God, what, what in the world am I going to do? And I looked up on my desk and there was that note, Psalm 34. And I was like, God, 
this, this could have been a lot easier. We, you didn't have to take me through the process uh, of a stomach virus. And he said, well, you should have listened to your wife. So today I'm going to walk you through Psalms chapter 34. I'm going to use Joshua chapter 10 to expound upon the context of the concept that will come out of Psalms chapter 34. But when you hear something today that just excites you, it's all right to shout. It's all right to jump to your feet and clap. It's all right to get rowdy up in this place. You know what I'm talking about? A couple of weeks ago, I ran into someone in our community who I, I didn't know had been coming to church here because I don't get to see everyone. And so they said, hey, listen, I've been coming to your church for several weeks. And the first time I walked in, it was just wow, it was so much energy. Wow. And I'm not like a shouter, but it was like, wow. And she said, so ever since then, she said, I've been practicing my shouts. I've been like, amen. Bring it. Look at your neighbor and say, sometimes we have to open our mouths. In Psalms chapter 34, there's a passage of scripture that David writes. David is the future king. Is it okay if I have you standing for just another moment? Is it okay? Because you're going to. At least I hope so. But David is the future king of of. Israel, he's been anointed to be the king, he's supposed to have prosperity, lead the nation back into a right relationship with God, lead the nation of Israel into the prosperous times that God has proclaimed will happen, but yet what is happening in David's life is in direct contradiction to that, the reality of his situation seems to be contradictory to the proclamation over his life, and David finds himself in a position of being destitute, of being broke, of being down and out, of, of being broken, of his family being estranged from him, of living in the darkness of a cave. And David, one day he says, I've got to have some peace. I've got to have refuge. So David picks up and he goes to a city by the name of Gath. And when he gets to Gath, the people recognize him as the future king of Israel. And so they say to David, we're going to kill you. And so they captured David in order to kill him. And David comes up with this ingenious plan to act as if he's insane. I see birdies. I had a lot of practice. And it worked. So they let David go because they weren't going to kill this crazy guy. And so David didn't know what else to do. So David goes back to Adullam, which is this place that has this cave. And David just hangs out in the cave. David makes the cave his home. David's in this dark place. And this band of misfits takes up residence with David as he's living there. And while David is there, David writes this psalm, which becomes a song. And it becomes the anthem for the nation of Israel for thousands of years. And when he begins to sing this song in the midst of darkness, you can only imagine the people who are around him, this band of misfits who've lost it all. And David singing out of the joy that's in his heart so David writes Psalms 34 I'm going to read it to you in the message translation he said I bless God every chance that I get 
my lungs expand with his praise. He doesn't say I bless God sometimes. He said I bless God all times. Not just in the good times, but also in the bad times. Not just in the mountaintop victories, but also in the darkness of the cave. I bless God at all times. I am not going to allow the situation in my life to steal the praise that's on my lips. I will not allow my situation to supersede my ability to praise. You see, what you are speaking out of your mouth may not work, but the praise that you release from your heart will always work. You see, you can talk to everyone about your problem, but when you connect to God, he can change everything. Can I preach? Verse 2, he says, he changes to the audience that is present. He says, I live and breathe God. If things aren't going well, hear this and be happy. Can I read that one more time? I live and I breathe God. If things aren't going well, hear this and be happy. Someone needs to hear that. Join me, verse 3, in spreading the news together. Let's get the word out. He said, join me in spreading the news. Together, let's get the word out. He said, together, let's get the word out. Look at your neighbor and say, together. Together, let's get the word out. And the moment that I read together, I began to think of the definition of church in the New Testament. It's the word ecclesia. Ecclesia does not mean a specific place or building. It means a group of people with a specific purpose. It is a group of people who have a common mission, and they work together to accomplish the mission. Church is not something that we do. It's who we are. Church is not a place that we go. It's a lifestyle. Church is not what we accomplish in here, church is what we accomplish out there together. So David would not allow what was happening on the outside to rob what God was doing on the inside. And you need to understand something here. He would not, let me back up, his praise was not connected to the comfort level in his life in the darkness of the cave. And look what he writes in verse 4. He said, God met me more than halfway. He freed me from my anxious fears. He's seeing this in the darkness of a cave. Look at him and give him your warmest smile. Never hide your feelings from him. When I was desperate, I called out. And God got me out of a tight spot. And God got me out of a tight spot. I opened up my mouth in the tight spot. Look at your neighbor and announce the title. Open up your mouth in a tight spot. Open up your mouth in a tight spot. You see, David was not saying that God just heard him. David was saying that God not only heard him, but because he heard him, God helped him. So if you've ever been experiencing the presence of God in your life in a time of need, you ought to open 
open your mouth. If God has ever been an ever-present help in a time of need, you ought to open your mouth. If God has set you free, open your mouth. If God has delivered you, open your mouth. If you've ever found yourself in a tight spot and God has been there in your finances, in your marriage, in your relationships, with your kids, in your career, then open up your mouth and give God a shout of praise. I'm going to preach as long as I have a voice. Hopefully that will last the whole time. Verse 7. God's angels set up a circle of protection around us while we pray. Look at what he says again in verse 8. So open up your mouth and taste. Open up your eyes and see how good God is. Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. Verse 9. Worship God if you want the best. Worship opens the doors to all of his goodness. Again, he's saying open up your mouth. It is your ability to open up your mouth that connects you to the goodness of God. What he is saying to us, you have to understand this. Remember where he's at. He's in the darkness of a cave. And what's happening in his life is bad news. It's bad news because he's broke. It's bad news because he's in the darkness of a cave. It's bad news because his family is gone. It's bad news because he's lonely. That's the bad news in his life. But what David is showing us is that this is how you turn bad news into a good report. Because it's like the old preacher would say, the, the, the report that you believe is better than the news that you receive. The news that's in your life may be what's happening, but the report is what you do with what's happening. So whose report are you going to believe? You see, what David is teaching us here is that there is a difference between assuming the goodness of God and actually tasting goodness of God. Oh Lord, that's good. Just be seated, be seated. Keep praying, keep praying. There is a difference between assuming the goodness of God and actually tasting the goodness of God. What David is telling us is that your ability to work through a problem is directly connected to your ability to pray and to praise through that problem. Can I get an amen? You see, your ability to taste that steak that you paid so much money for has everything to do with your ability and your willingness to open your mouth. Your willingness to taste that donut has everything to do with you opening up your mouth. So as for me this year, I'm going to open my mouth and praise him because when I do, it connects me to the goodness of who he is. And it may be dark on the outside, but it's not dark on the inside. And I may have taken a a, a licking, but I'm going to keep on ticking. I may have weebled and wobbled, but I will not fall down because my God is for me. I've gone through many dangers, toil and snares, but I know by his grace that I shall be standing. Somebody open up your mouth and give him praise. (laughs) 
you see, the, the, the problem in our lives is the battle that we seem to find ourselves in. And so often we're focused upon the enemy that we're in battle with. But it is not the enemy that is on the outside that we're battling with that is eroding our faith. It is the battle within that is eroding our faith. You see, the dichotomy of the battle centers around one word. It's the word when. W-H-E-N. When. When God is good, am I going to taste of his goodness? When can I experience the sweetness of who he is? After all, when I'm hungry, I stop and eat. When, you see, just because you're not tasting of the goodness of God does not mean a full course meal is not being prepared for you at this moment. You see, the when and the where of where you thought that you would win, W-I-N, may not be the when and the where of where you actually win because God is not consumed with your timetable. God is consumed with you experiencing the goodness of who he is. So God will use an enemy in your life to increase the appetite within you for him. That's where Joshua comes into play. Joshua in chapter 10 is leading the people of Israel into the promise. But as he goes into the promise, he has to conquer the promise. In the process of conquest, he builds an ally with a place called Gibbon, the Gibbonites. He builds a peace treaty with the Gibbonites, and five kings from the region don't like it. They don't like Joshua. They don't like Gibbon. So five kings from the region build an alliance to come against the Gibbonites to destroy it, to destroy Joshua, and to destroy Israel. Five kings, a massive army. Here's Joshua just coming into the promised land. That's where Joshua chapter 10 unfolds, beginning in verse 4. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm going to preach to six of you who are there. Verse 4 said, come up and help me attack Gibbon, he said. This is one of the wicked kings, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, Eglon, joined forces. They moved up all of their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, do not abandon your servants, come up to us quickly and save us, help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. I love verse 6. It says, again, it says, the Gibbonites then sent word. Look at it. Then they sent word. Then they sent word. They didn't go to God. They went to Joshua. Then they sent 
word. They sent word. I, I wonder how often we are the same way. They sent word. It, it seems like they're talking about their enemy rather than talking to God. I wonder how often we talk about our enemy rather than talking to God about our enemy. I wonder how often we talk to everybody else rather than talking to the God who created everybody else. They sent word. They sent word. I wonder how often we're like the Gibbonites. We Facebook this. We tell that. My boss! <laughs> oh, my boss! I gotta tell you about my boss. <sighs> my boss! My boss told me that my work wasn't good enough. It's not good enough. <laughs> oh, this morning I went to my closet and I tried on a dress and it was two sizes too small. <laughs> I didn't. Nor did Kim. Don't uh, listen. I don't want you to think that she's saying, "Oh, I'm so sad." Listen, no, she didn't try on the dress either. Let me just move away from that. <laughs> oh, my tires flat outside. Oh, <laughs> my finances are a wreck, sister. <laughs> I need some help. Seems like when it rains, it pours. Oh, I thought they were my friends, but they turned out not to be. Seems like we're always focused on the resources drying up. I heard an old preacher one time say that so many times we're focused on the resource that is drying up rather than being focused on the God who's the source that never runs dry. Oh, Lord, have I wish I could say that. I, I said that. <laughs> mm. So we Facebook this. Come on up and help us. Ah. We, we tweet. Oh, hell's breaking out. We take an Instagram of our enemy. Oh, <laughs> did you see this? And you see, the enemy, that's his strategy. He wants to get you so focused on, on the problems in your life that the promise never occupies your mouth. That's the strategy of the enemy. Let me go one step further. Let me tell you something. If, if God gave you something, the enemy can't take it away from you. The enemy can't take anything from you. If God gave you talent, you've got talent. If God gave you ability, you've got ability. If God gave you promise, you've got promise. If God gave you purpose, you've got purpose. If God gave you strength, you've got strength. If God gave you this, you have this. If God gave you that, you have that. The problem is the enemy wants to get you so focused on what's not happening in your life so that you can't get focused on the one who makes things happen in your life. That way your mouth is occupied with all of the problems rather than the promise. But I'm here to tell you today to stand up and fight and open up your mouth in a tight spot because he's the author and perfecter of our faith and he shall make sure that we are victorious. Verse, verse 7. Verse 7 says, so Joshua, 
he marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all of his best fighting men. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal. Marsh, Joshua marched up. Joshua marched up from Gilgal. Let me take a moment to refresh your memory on Gilgal. We talked about Gilgal in week one of We Are Church. Gilgal is the place of celebration. Gilgal is the place of remembrance. Gilgal is the place of the stones. Gilgal is the place that the people of Israel crossed over into the land of promise when the Jordan River stopped flowing so that they could walk across on dry ground. And Joshua said, while you're in the midst of the dryness of that river, I want you to grab the stones and build up a monument, a shrine, a place of celebration. So it became called the place of celebration, the place where the stones were at. And so here is Joshua. He's hanging out at Gilgal. But we also know that Gilgal became the place that they would celebrate the goodness of God and they would also use that place as a place of prayer. Gilgal became the place that Joshua would go and seek God. Before he ever made a decision, he would seek God. It became the prayer closet, if you will, for Joshua. It became the prayer closet, if you will, for the nation of Israel. But what you do not see in this passage of Scripture is Joshua receiving the word from Gibbon and saying, well, let me ponder that. Let me think about that. Let me seek the counsel of a great committee of people and ponder what you have asked me to do. You don't see that. You don't see it. Why? Because all you see is Joshua marching up from Gilgal. L let me tell you why. <laughs> because once you've tasted of the goodness of God, it will cause you to break free from passivity. Mm. Oh, Lord, that's good. Once you've tasted of the goodness of God, it will cause you to break free from passivity. You don't see anywhere in this text where Joshua says, God, is this your will? God, I need to know if this is your will. I need to know what you're wanting me to do. You don't see that. Can I tell you something? So many times we use the will of God as an excuse for laziness. Hello. We hide behind the will of God. I'm just waiting on God to reveal himself. I'm waiting on God to reveal himself in this situation before I begin to act. Passivity. Passivity. I'm waiting on God to bring back my husband. I'm waiting on God to bring back my kids. I'm waiting on God to show me the next opportunity. I'm waiting on God to fix my finances so that I can be a giver. I'm waiting on God to help me with this situation. I'm waiting on God to show me where I need to be involved in the church. I'm, sh I'm waiting on God to show me where I need to, to serve. But I want you to notice something about Joshua. Joshua did not wait on the appearance of God's will. Joshua got involved by activating God's will. You see, there is a difference between waiting on the will of God and participating in the will of God. 
there is a major difference. He's been hanging out in Gilgal. He's prayed up, if you will. And once you've tasted of the goodness of God, you cannot help but to put on your marching boots. You cannot help but to begin to do what God has called you to do because you've tasted of the goodness of God. So once he knew of the need, all he did was begin to march up from Gilgal because he knew what God's will was, because he had been in his prayer closet, and now he was compelled to march against the enemy. You see, when the enemy comes against you, you've got to be compelled to march. You've got to march when he comes against your husband, march when he comes against your wife, march when he comes against your kids. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I'll open up my mouth because it connects me to the goodness of God. After all, he told Joshua, I'll give you every place that you place your feet. I'll bless your lying down and your rising up. You're coming in and you're going out. I'll bless you in the city and in the field. So in 2016, we will, we will, we will, we will pray, we will praise, and we will win. Come on, somebody, give him praise. Joshua climbs up from Gilgal. It's a 3,500-foot elevation climb over the stretch of 20 miles that took a span of 12 hours to do. Why is that important? It's important because you need to understand that God will deliver you, but it will always require your participation. Prayer is not backed up by good intentions. Prayer is backed up by good initiative. <laughs> so where's my marchers? <laughs> where's my marchers in this place? Because as we march on towards joy, we're going to march towards peace. We're going to march towards hope. We're going to march towards his promise. We're going to march. So look at your neighbor and say, let's put on our marching shoes. But let me tell you something that I noticed about the text. Something that will maybe ring true in many of your lives. In Joshua chapter 10 verse 2, there's a verse that talks about the beauty, the talent, the ability, if you will, of Gibbon. It says it's a royal city, a large city with a great fighting group of men. They've got all the talent, they have all of the ability, but yet they do not know what to do with their enemy. Then God shows us something. Many of you have talent, many of you have ability, you have everything that you need, but yet the enemy is telling you what you cannot do, and the reason why he's telling you what you cannot do is because you have not tapped into the source that never runs dry. You have not tapped into the the resources of God that he has for you. So the enemy is telling you what's going to happen in your life and the talents and abilities that you have, you're now using in an ungodly, unchrist-like way and you're wondering when the breakthrough is going to happen in your life. But yet there is a verse in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17 that says, No weapon. 
I said, no weapon. Mm, let me tell you something. I, I've preached in other places like Baptist churches, and they hear no weapon, and they jump up on their feet. <laughs> no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Hold on a second. I don't think you're grabbing this. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That'll preach. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That weapon may be lack. That weapon may be sickness. That weapon may be disease. That weapon may be messed up situation. But it's not going to overcome you. It may surround you, but it will not overwhelm you because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he is my shield of faith. So no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Look at your neighbor and say, no weapon. That's a powerful verse that you can preach anywhere. I can roll up in a Methodist church and preach that and probably get people stand. But as beautiful as that verse is, I think there's another verse in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 2, that many times we overlook. It talks about a weapon that God has given you. It's an offensive weapon. Isaiah 49 verse 2 says this, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. <laughs> oh, Lord, I don't think you're hearing. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow, and he concealed me in his quiver. Oh, good Lord, I'm God's secret weapon. Are you grabbing this? He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. Open your mouth in a tight spot because the weapon that God created is on the inside. Let me go ahead and proclaim to you for 2016 that no weapon formed against me shall prosper because the weapon of God's choice resides in my mouth and it is a sword that is sharp enough to cut the enemy down. So he formed me as his weapon against sickness, against problems, against difficulty. And all I have to do is open up my mouth and I shall be victorious. <laughs> Can I finish? Verse 8, verse 8, verse 8. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not a one of them will be able to withstand you. Do not be afraid of them. I have given them. You shall win. You have won is what he says. I will give them. Not I will give them, but I have given them. He's speaking in the past tense. I don't know if you're grabbing this. He's speaking to the future using the past tense. He says, I have given them. Only God can speak to your future using the past tense. I have given them. I have given them. Look at verse... Nine. Before I read verse 9, I need you to understand something. Joshua had to march all night with his men 
20 miles over 12 hours. What you need to understand is that God will deliver you. God will enable you to taste of his sweetness. But while you're waiting, he wants you to participate in your deliverance. What I'm trying to say to you is that this year, we're going to participate in the deliverance that God has for us. This year, I'm proclaiming to you that we are going to march. Where's my marchers in this place? Where's my marchers in this place? Where's my marchers in this place? If you're going to march, you got to get up on your feet so that you can march towards joy, march towards health, march towards hope, march towards my glory that God has called me to. So when I open up my mouth, I know the enemy does not stand a chance. I'm having fun with this. After an all-night march, verse 9, from Gilgal, the place of celebration, the place of prayer, Joshua took them by surprise. (laughs) Your prayer life will shake up your enemy. Look at verse 10. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Hold on. You need to understand that your prayer life breaks down the strategies of the enemy. (laughs) Because look what happens in verse 10. It says, Israel pursued them all along the road going to Beth Haran and cut them down all the way to Ezekiah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Ezekiah, The Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hell than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I got to tell you what I was going to call this passage of Scripture, this sermon, when all hell breaks out. (laughs) Woo, ain't God good? On that day, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. But you need to understand something. Joshua was afraid that the the armies were so vast that many of them would get away under the cover of darkness. So he was thinking to himself in the middle of the day, God, this day is going to run out before we can get rid of all of them, and then they're going to come back and cause us problems. So look what he does. He says, on the day that God gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Good God Almighty. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. You need to understand that you've got to open up your mouth and begin to march because your marching will get you out of that tight spot because surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So I march. Come on, marchers. I march towards hope. I march towards help. I march towards peace. I march towards comfort because all I have to do is open up my mouth. 
mouth and I'll connect to the goodness of God.